stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hi, and welcome to Raising Joy. My name is Kristen Perch, and I'm the medical director for outpatient psychiatry at Cook Children's. And much to your disappointment, I am solo this week. My beautiful, amazing, uh, very fun co-host, Winnie King, is on a cruise right now somewhere in the Caribbean, and we hope that she is having all of the adult beverages she wants and is having as much joy and fun as she deserves. So we miss her, but I'm solo and I apologize in advance. So um, the good news is that we have two of my very dear friends and colleagues with me today. Um, the first person is Miss Helen Ransbottom and Melody Heckfeld, and they're both case managers at Cook Children's um, in, in my department in psychiatry, and they play a huge role in supporting families whenever they leave um, our, inpatient, uh, our inpatient unit and when they're discharged. So um, I'm very excited for you guys to hear all of their tips and tricks on how to um, support your kiddo if they're having trouble um, with their mental health. Welcome to Raising Joy. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah, we we are glad you're here. Um, so what? So explain kind of what it, what what you guys do at Cook. Okay, so we are nurse case managers, and um, Lisa Farmer is the director of psychiatry. And many years ago, about 2014, there was some research done over all the hospital of what was causing readmissions for various diagnoses. And the third highest readmission um, hospital-wide, not just in psychiatry, was um, a depressive diagnosis. So her um, superiors had asked her to come up with a plan to reduce readmissions um, for that diagnosis. And so she created um, our department. That's why it's very unique. Um, You won't find a case management department for post-discharge care at probably any hospital. But that was her um, solution for it. And so it started with just me, and then we were able to add a part-time position. And so um, there's Melody and I. <laughs> yeah. What? Um, so how how do you guys, so whenever, so if a kiddo came in <clears throat> to inpatient psychiatry um, and now they're they're able to leave the hospital, what kind of things do you guys do to help them stay well and not to have to come back to the hospital? So when a child leaves the hospital from inpatient care, um, we're calling the family within seven days um, to see if they have followed up on getting into the therapist, um, a follow-up appointment with uh, the provider for medication management, um, and also helping that family if they're running into issues at home with mm-hmm. behavior or anything like that. We We certainly you know, provide that teaching and help and support when they go home. Um, And we do this uh, with some of our PHP patients, too. Um, If a therapist sees that a family needs help, um, especially with uh, some of those follow-up appointments, then Helen and I will call for them as well. And I I think that's awesome because, you know, we, like whenever a kiddo's leaving either partial hospitalization or inpatient, we have a plan and it feels good and this is what we're going to do. 
and then the kid goes back to school sometimes and like parents are like, I really don't think we need to come back to the hospital for this, but what do we do? And I, like you guys are really good at like problem solving and coming up with solutions and helping families, you know, stay, stay in school, keep going, you know, but it, but it takes that extra, that extra step, that extra follow through and for them to be able to have someone to talk to. You know, about like, what do you, what now? What do we do? <laughs> right. And it's, and it's nice to connect with the families. Um, and I mean, we've even had um, parents that have gone into therapy themselves. Um, you know, with the support that they're seeing with their child, they're like, oh, I may need help too. And we have, you know, given resources to family members. And so it's, it's really been a a good help for our families, I think. Yeah. Have you, well, I know the answer to this question because I get these emails every month, but <laughs> have you guys seen, uh, like, how has this affected readmissions? Like, what have you guys seen? Mm-hmm. So our first year of case management, we saw almost a 30% decrease in readmissions from the year without um a, a nurse case manager. So we wow. were really pleased with that. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. And then we've continued to have um, various years um, with decreases. Um, most years definitely decrease. But then more recently, 2022 is even more dramatic. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It was like, what, 52? Yeah. We were looking at the numbers <laughs> um, and it looked like the year that we had COVID. Um, you know, in 2020, um, that next year, our census went up. Yes. Um, and and yet our readmissions went down um, significantly. So um, That's kept, amazing. Yeah, we keep watching that, and we've continued to have um, a decrease in readmissions. Um, but that year post-COVID was really significant. So, yeah. um, you know, we're looking at that and kind of wondering. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay, was, what worked? Okay, yeah, let's get going. Yeah, let's yeah. go. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. So, And I will tell you guys, so if I have a really tricky situation that's like, okay, this kiddo doesn't have any insurance and they really definitely need therapy, but they can't afford to pay out of pocket for PHP and they live in a county three hours away. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all of those situations. These are the two people that I email <laughs> and I say... I know this is not part of your job, but do you, does anything come to mind if this stuff, and they're always the most amazing people. So these ladies are incredibly creative and the most compassionate people I know. So um, what tips or tricks do you guys have in those really tough situations where it's like, okay, kind of like putting together a plan with like shoestrings and bubblegum sometimes. That's how it feels, you know? Yes, it. You know, there's very, all of the psychiatry resources in the area, actually, probably nationwide, mm-hmm. are stretched, you know. And so trying to find them is is challenging. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so really what we do is try to know a whole bunch of different ones from, you know, definitely our service area, but even a little bit beyond, and then try to connect people. But I think... What really helps is just connecting with the caregiver and 
especially when they feel very frustrated. Mm-hmm. If they have some of those really difficult cases that you're talking about, is that I tell them that they're not alone. That, you know, if if a hospital or an RTC is closing the door in your face, they're going to close it in my face because I'm going to stand with you. And I just think they feel okay, you know, even if they have a very unique situation with their child. And so finding placement, finding interventions for that child is very difficult, Mm -hmm. is that they've got somebody that will stand with them, Mm -hmm. you know, and will kind of think outside the box and try to to think of different things. Um, After this program has been going for numerous years, Melody and I have some connections with some other people and other agencies. So sometimes we'll reach out to them and say, do you have an idea on this? And then that helps because sometimes they have something I have not even thought about. Kind of like how you said you reached out to us. We we do the exact same thing. (laughs) You guys are my bat line. (laughs) But but I feel even if it's like I feel I hear a lot um, you know, I've called 23, I, you know, I took the list of therapists that you have, and this is like in Fort Worth, I, I took the list of therapists that you have, and I can't get a call back. I know. And it's, and it's, it's so, it's for therapists, it's for counseling, it's for medication management. Do you guys, and, and it is isolating and it's frustrating. So I'm glad that you guys are there to say like, you're not alone. Like this is, it's not that they're not calling you, they're not calling anyone back. Um, and I know it's really, really, really frustrating for families because they just want help for their kid. That's right. It. Right. And just being able to, um, you know, I know we have a discharge coordinator. Um, it's a new position at Cook. And um, I've noticed on discharges, she provides sometimes 10 resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's for those reasons, because someone may not call you back or, you know, or that therapist is not available or that provider is not available. And so there's a whole list. Um, and and Helen and I will do that as well. We'll go down these lists and, um, you know, until we find someone. It's really hard. Yeah. And, and a lot of times I think families get discouraged because maybe they do get in contact with like an agency for counseling or something like that. And they're like, well, the wait is three months. That's and so, true. but in... In my mind, as a clinician, I'm like, okay, three months is good. I'm glad you're on the list. But to a parent, they're like, I don't know what to do every night when I get home and I can't get my kid mm-hmm. out of bed or to go to school or to do their homework. Um, but are there? do you guys have any, any tips for just engaging counselors or finding a counselor or psychiatrist just for anybody who has concerns for their kiddo? I think um, the first thing we do is start – with um, who is their insurance provider? Do mm-hmm. they have insurance? Um, if they don't have insurance, then you know we have a handful of resources that we go to: um, MHMR, ACH. Um, there's some sliding scale providers that we can go to. Um, but if they do have insurance, then you can go to those insurance providers lists and look at who is available on their list. Right. And so it's a lot of digging. Um, it is. <laughs> and so that's that's where we come in. Um, so we're looking for who can help them, mm-hmm. um, who's available. Yeah. Um, and kind of start at the top and go. And just do the 
Just call, make all the calls. Make all the calls. Make all those calls. You know, Psychology Today is a very good Mm -hmm. online resource because you can, it has a lot of filters where you can filter by zip code, by um, pair source, age, and then it usually has a bio there. But sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, providers have had that list for a while, so they might be close to new clients. And so, um, which is understandable. And so, a lot of it is educating, I think, these families. They come in, particularly if inpatient is their first time getting connected with mental health. They don't know what a difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist is. Sure. I didn't. <laughs> I, <laughs> Until me I too. went to med school. I was like, what's a, a psychiatrist? What? I didn't know. <laughs> so you're not alone, friends. Exactly. <laughs> and so we just try to talk through what all that is. And basically... From discharge, we want you to either step down from an inpatient level of care. Usually, treatment team recommends a PHP level of care, Mm -hmm. sometimes an IOP. But then once you're out of that, it needs to be psychiatrist and therapy is the, like, ideal (laughs) discharge plan. But we can't always do that. And so we just try to work with them. And they don't understand wait lists. So some of it is just educating them is you might get get a wait list, you know, to get into a specialist such as a psychiatrist. You can, if they are taking new clients, it'll probably be an eight week eight week wait list. And so, just educating them to go ahead and not get off the phone because I've had caregivers say, "Oh, well, that's too long," and they hang up and they call another one because they think it's going to be the next week, and then all of them, and then they call back the original one. And it's twelve weeks now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, they were like, I should have made that first appointment. I said, yeah. Yes, just get on the list if yeah. they tell you six months. And then if there's a place that you really want to go, like mm-hmm. Lena Pope or ACH mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that, then call. Like, mm-hmm. hey, put me on a wait list for cancellations. And then be nice to the people who uh, are, are manning the phones and like, okay, you know, call back, hey, just check in to make sure. Yeah. And that can, that can be helpful because you never know. Like maybe there's a cancellation that afternoon. Um, I know something else that you guys do, um, speaking of support for families, is Links of Hope. So mm-hmm. what is Links of Hope? Okay. So Links of Hope is a support group for any care- adult caregiver of a child who's dealing with a mental illness. So it's only for the adults, and it's virtual now. It used to be in person before COVID. Um, we had to move to a virtual platform, and to tell you the truth, one good thing that came out of COVID is that I find that it's easier for caregivers to yes. attend mm-hmm. on a virtual platform. So we've maintained it as a virtual um, option. Well, it's the only option. We've we, we stayed virtual. Um, and so, and it's interesting. You don't have to be a client of Cook. I have most of my regulars probably don't have any doctor at Cook at all. Okay. They came to Cook. They were looking for... Um, a support group for themselves. They came to cookchildrens.org and they went to support groups and we have a whole bunch of different ones. And then there's two for Links of Hope. Um, it says Fort Worth and Southlake because that's when it was in per- person, but they're both virtual. One meets during the day from 9.30 to 10.30 on the second Tuesday of the month. And I lead that one. And then another therapist leads the fourth um, Thursday of the month from five to six. So we kind of have it different days, different times to hopefully um, accommodate everybody. 
And um, so they would just go to the website and there's an email. They can email that um, address and then we'll send them a sign-in form and then more detailed flyers on the different groups. And they're just open discussion groups. But sometimes it'll just be me and the parent and basically you get free therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be very high quality, guys. So <laughs> sign up. if you. I mean, I think it's like you were saying, like sometimes parents figure out that they need the counseling and support because it's really hard to see your kids struggle. So having someone to say, you're not alone, like this other person, and you know, these are the things that you can do to help. I think that's so helpful for mm-hmm. parents because they feel, and I think also parents feel so guilty. They feel like they're a failure if mm-hmm. their kid's having a hard time. Yeah, And I think just realizing that you're not alone and you're not a failure, like you're trying your best, like you're trying to find all these resources, like you're doing everything you can, like you're not failing. Exactly. But I think that that's really hard for parents. Like they, yeah, they're really hard on themselves. They are. Yep. Um, so you, so, so if they go, if they Google cookchildrens.org links of hope, Mm -hmm. it'll pull up. And then Mm -hmm. also our, I think our behavioral health, um, website, like cook children's behavioral health, Mm -hmm. there's a, something on there for links of hope as well. I think there's Mm -hmm. a link there. And like if they went to the main website, it would be under patient, the top banner, it's patients, and that drop-down menu goes to support groups. And then, because there's a whole bunch of other support groups that cook too, like for hearts and different things. But um, it really is a neat way that they can jump on, especially because I have a lot of families that are professional, but they'll jump on for even just 30 minutes and just say, you know, I just need a little bit of support. And it helps them to know that they're not alone, that there's other parents. It's different when I'm saying I'm here with you, but to be with another parent that's struggling at the same time that you're struggling gives them a lot of encouragement and support. So, and then we provide additional support and education and again, give them more resources. Well, Melody, I know that you were instrumental in rolling out the ASQ um, at Cook Children. So what what exactly is this ASQ? Oh, uh, so the ASQ is the Ask Suicide Screening Questionnaire. Um, and Lisa, our uh, director, she took some information to the Nurse Executive Committee several years ago regarding an increased number of children that were on our medical floors um, due to suicide attempts. And then also the increased number of intake calls that that we were taking and number of patients that were being seen in the emergency room for intakes. And so the nurse executive team came together and um, wanted a suicide screening tool to be um, implemented in our emergency department um, for all children ages 10 and under. So myself and another nurse uh, from the emergency department, I'm in psychiatry, we attended the TCU EBP fellowship um, for a year and um, research, dug into the research. I had never done anything like this. Um, And... um, and we discovered the ASQ um, as being a, a really good tool um, to use in the emergency room. And um, so it rolled out July 2017. And um, the number of kids that have been seen um, in the emergency department and assessed for suicide, it's just, it's unbelievable. Um, and the impact has been 
just incredible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want to give a shout out to all those nurses that work in the emergency department that are asking those really hard questions. Right. Um, You know, and and then to our leadership team who put this in place and was like, let's let's do this. And um, but yes, the um, just some of the numbers from this past year. Um, there were 31,000 children assessed in our emergency room um, for suicide risk um, using the ASQ, and 640 of those children came back positive. And so that's like 2% of the children. Um, and it's been pretty consistent, those numbers. And so um, when you look at that, it it is very impactful what those nurses are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just... I mean, it touches my heart every right. time I, I see that report. It right. just, it's like, wow. And and this is for everybody. So if you break your arm, right, you get asked these questions. Right. Um, and I know, I know initially, you know, there's, there's always pushback, right? Like, well, why are we asking? Like, why do, like, they didn't come in for that or, you know, even from parents, right? They're like, right. why are you asking my kid that? Like they broke their arm. Right. But they've, you know, so whenever they are asked these specific questions, if they answer no, then, you know, you move on. It's not a big deal. But sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes it's yes for the first time, and you don't know unless you ask. Right. And even— and Right. I know um, I know that—so they're—so they—the ASQ has five questions? Yes. And it's—it walks into, like, more acuity. Like, have you ever thought about not being alive anymore? Have you ever made a plan to hurt yourself? And then— are you having those thoughts right now? And and like if you answer yes along the path, then you keep going, you know. But um, but what have you guys found? Like how many kiddos have you found that we didn't really know that they were suicidal? Well, that number that I gave you, the 640, yes. um, there were 22 of those children were actively suicidal. Um, so that 640 were, they answered yes to one of those five questions um, but there were 22 children that were actively, um, and and that and that means I'm I'm suicidal feeling, right yes, now, and I don't and I don't want to be alive. I don't want to be and alive. I, don't know if I can be safe. Right. Yep. Right. And so that's huge. Right. And and these aren't kids with a sight complaint. Like, right. These, these are, are children that came in for um, some of the examples: asthma, um, abscess child had an abscess they had a fever their parent brought them in for a fever um uh we recently child came in um after a motorcycle or a motor vehicle accident and um had bumps and bruises and were actively suicidal and had been and so it's really been impactful and caught children that um we wouldn't have caught in the past. Right. Um, so just... And that's our whole goal. That's right? it. We're trying to prevent... Yes. We're trying to prevent suicide attempts. We're trying to prevent death by suicide. So yes. I know it. it's uncomfortable to think about asking those questions to your 10-year-old, um, but that's the whole goal. Like, we don't want to... We don't want a kid to suffer. Right. And not to be able to have that conversation. And for the... I mean, and a lot of times the parents are blindsided. Yes. Like, I had no idea. Yes. Um, and I know in doing the research, um, you know, back years ago, 
Um, that was one of the things they said, like 85% of parents are not aware that their child has been having those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another alarming statistic is is that a child or adolescent that does go through with suicide um, has usually been in the ED or seen a provider in the last three months. Mm-hmm. So these are huge things, and I'm just, like I said, I'm so thrilled that um, our ED team has embraced and really, they've done an amazing job yeah. asking those hard questions. They do a really great job. Yeah. Somet- and just to be honest, sometimes there's, there in other institutions, there can be like a adversarial relationship <laughs> between like behavioral health and the emergency room yeah. because... We do have a lot of patients that come in and yeah. sometimes it's overwhelming or sometimes they're aggressive or, you know, all these different kinds of things. But that's not the case at our hospital no. at all. Our ED staff, leadership, they're so supportive. And so Absolutely. we're very, very grateful for them. Very grateful. Yeah. Um, so you guys have incredibly hard jobs. You see parents at very vulnerable spots what keeps you going like how do you keep doing the work when sometimes it doesn't feel all that rewarding and no one is coming and bringing you donuts (laughs) or you know what I mean like it's you know like it you may not get a thank you but so what what how what keeps you going well I really like this position it's a very unique position I kind of feel like a 1940s operator that has all the strings and I'm connecting people <laughs> in different holes, right? Yep. And so, because um, to me, it's very rewarding when I'm hearing a problem. I'm a problem solver, just kind of my DNA. And so when I hear a problem, it just, when a light bulb goes off in my head, I love saying, hey, Maybe if you call so and so, or let's connect you with so and so, and and then when we call back and they did, you know, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> now sometimes they don't, but when they do, and they're like, I am so happy that I was able to do that. You know, it's yes. just it's just connecting people with people, and then the other cool thing that I really like that keeps me going is that this role allows me to touch like all different members of psychiatry and psychology because our clients discharge to all different levels of care. And so there's times that I'm needing to reach out to psychology and say, did they follow up with testing or we're having a problem here? And sometimes it's just an order didn't go through or communication just had a little bit of a bleep. And so we reach out to them, we get it going, and the family is just so helpful. And I feel like I'm just doing a little nudge. And it's not like doing rocket science or anything like that, but it's just a little something, but it means a lot to them. Yes. You know? And so, and plus, I enjoy talking to people like <laughs> Dr. Perch <laughs> and providers, outpatient, inpatient, all over the place, yeah. you know, and just advocating um, for people to to get good care. So yeah. that's rewarding. Yeah. What about you, Melody? I think it's, um, I love hearing when families are doing well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not all, um, you know, struggle, struggle, struggle. There there are moments, you know, I had a phone call yesterday in which a child was doing amazing. And it, it just, 
it was just wonderful to hear mm-hmm. that mom, you know, he's doing great. He's sleeping good. He's He's gone to school. It's been the best week he's had. You know, just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and she had connected with all of the follow-up appointments, and um, she had everything in place. And it was just... It was it was wonderful to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I enjoy those those calls. And then, like Helen said, just being that piece that can can help them, remind them about an appointment. Sometimes they're in crisis mode and they just need a reminder. Oh, I have that appointment. You know, um, so being that, you know, that voice for them. And and because they're overwhelmed. Yes, you know, and it's a yes. lot. You know, like you got to do yes. counseling and school like it's it's a lot to keep track of so no it is it's hard but rewarding yes that's absolutely i agree that's amazing so thank you guys so much for coming on whenever we were kind of brainstorming what to do for this season i i was like guys we have to have melody and helen on to help like because i was like these are the people that i call whenever i have a problem or when i'm trying to really like be creative and think and i was like i think parents will really like your tips and tricks so um, I'm really glad that you guys came on. We always close with what you're grateful for. Um, Helen, do you want to go first? What 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 are you grateful for today? Today. Well, I am grateful for my friends and family that I'm connected with. Mm-hmm. I had the blessing of going to my 40th high school reunion this past weekend. No way. <laughs> I'm old. I don't be- I don't believe it. No way. And it was just really fun to kind of pick up, you know, where you left off. I mean, you know, one I've stayed in contact with all my life, and so that was easy. But it was just fun. So yeah. I enjoy connection. That's awesome. I'm grateful. Yeah. What about you, Melody? Family and friends are right there. And then all the opportunities with, with being at Cook. I yeah. love being at Cook. Um, but family, um, we just had twin grandbabies. I knew. So. Well, whenever I asked, I was like, I already know what Melody's is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just, and let me tell you guys, they are adorable. Thank you. <laughs> so we're so glad they're here and, you know, just, it's a, it's a great time. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, something I'm grateful for is also babies. Um, Winnie and I want to say congratulations to, um, our director, Paul and Kate, and um, because they are going to have a baby in February of 2024, they have a 19-month-old Van who is the cutest little thing in the whole world, and he was an infant when we started Raising Joy, and so now he is getting a baby brother. So we're so happy for them, and Winnie and I want to say congratulations to you guys. We can't wait. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. Congrats. So we're excited. Babies. And you guys, if you've been a listener of the show, you know I get really distracted by babies. So don't bring the baby on the show or I won't be able to talk. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Until next time, just breathe, open up, you matter. 